you flip me mine. You just leave it all up to me. <laughs> Don't you just love Prince? studio are Matthew Saul and Kevin Matthews from the London-based psychedelic punk duo Unstoppable Achievers. This dynamic twosome are equal parts musicologists and artists in their own respective rights. And over the next two hours or so, we cover everything from the origin of solos in 1920s jazz music to the influence of One Direction on today's youth via chats about reggae, glam, punk, prog, analogue gear, music production and why it's always best to adopt a just-say-yes policy in one's life and much, much more. And while exploring this diverse range of topics, we also get a chance to find out about what makes unstoppable achievers tick. But more importantly, we also get to hear about what their favourite words are. I want to know... Hello, my name's Matthew Saw. My favourite word at the moment is, I think, inference. Inference? Yes. With me in the studio as well from the Unstoppable Achievers is Kevin. Hi, my name's Kevin Matthews and my favourite word is onomatopoeia. Cuckoo! Cuckoo! <laughs> it just, it's a good word. It is a good word. Inference? Yes. Tell me more. Uh, just the idea of inferring things rather than actually knowing things. You can only infer someone else's experiences. You can't actually know them, for instance. Uh, you can't know what another person experiences. Even if you're experiencing the same thing, you experience it in a different way to everyone else. So you can only infer what anyone else thinks. I like that. As, a, <laughs> as far as favourite words go, that's I've been a reading good... about psychiatry. This is, this is where it's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> With regards to instrumentation, I was looking at your bio... Mm-hmm. And the two of you cover a lot of different ground in terms of instrumentation. Now, Matthew, you handle vocals and yes. Kevin, you handle percussion. But there are other things that you handle as well. And I'm quite intrigued by this. Now, Matthew, what exactly is an egg harp? An egg harp is, um, well, I'm sure you've seen the uh, the egg slicing things that you get in the kitchen. Little plastic thing, you put your peeled egg in it and then you push the little wire cutters over it and it slices up your hard-boiled egg into little slices so you can stick it in your sandwich or whatever. Normally two for a pound. Exactly. Uh, but if you, your local pound you don't shop. need the plastic bit though, just take the metal bit off and you can play the the little bing, 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 the little bits that are supposed to be cutting your egg. You can play them. So you've taken something that would normally be a unitasker and you've made it into a multitasker. It can do it, other things. Yes. And micing that up must be quite interesting. Do you have to use a, a very well, kind of egg-friendly microphone on that bad boy? Or uh, no, not really. Because all you need to do is say uh, what I used to have was uh, like a big coffee tin, like a metal coffee tin, uh, and you just kind of you know uh, you just sort of put it on that so it's touching it, and then it vibrates, it makes it louder, and you, you know 
So you put it on a or as long as it's touching a you know a metal vibe surface that's going to amplify it, then you can. It's louder than you think. And do you ever use the egg harp live? Haven't done yet, but it's it's certainly not impossible. Um, I've got a contact mic. I could probably do something with that, or or even somehow wedge it into the if it's near enough to the pickup I might be able to do something with it so I mean, what's great is you could use it on stage for instrumentation but you could also use it backstage in order to turn a, a humble boiled egg into an egg mayonnaise sandwich well exactly and which is something I do like to do I do love <laughs> an egg mayonnaise sandwich so that would work very well yeah and we're growing cress at the moment hey, we well. I love cress we're growing cress it's, it's not just giant a- cress on it's a great ingredient. It's a powerhouse of nutrition. It's peppery. Yeah, thing. it goes so well with the eggs as well. And you can grow it on a bit of tissue. <laughs> yes. Now, now Kevin, exactly what we're doing. Kevin, I've seen all kinds of different instruments listed under people's areas of expertise. Now, playing the Buddha is one that I've not seen before. <laughs> Nor Atari um, consoles. I, I Do you use kind of game noises, or are we talking old-school Atari computers that you use to run sequences? Um, I, the, the Atari console is uh, something I, I found and imported from the States. Um, it's basically a little um, 8-bit noise generator tone generator and um it's it's synth in a box pretty much um it's pretty random it never does the same it it never does what you really want it to do which i quite like um you can you can kind of tune it and you go back to it (laughs) kind of yeah and you go back to it two minutes later and you've not touched anything and and it's it's just doing something totally different it's an analog thing and um, it keeps yeah. you on your toes. Yeah, we quite like the sort of randomness of that. I mean, I, I I I bought it originally just to sort of use sort of bassier tones, just to obviously with just the two of us in, it, it, for live, just to try and create uh, some low end uh, action, some low end tones. But um, yeah, just it does what it does, and yeah, it's quite interesting. So you like the randomness of it? You yeah. use it. I think it's quite nice. I think it's quite nice as a ju- you know as a juxtaposition. I mean, I'm I'm a fairly proficient drummer these days, having been playing since I was a kid. I started doing jazz when I was fifteen, and so. I'm I'm fairly proficient in whatever setup I'm doing playing drums, and I kind of know what's going to happen. Um, but it's nice to sort of offset that with something where you don't really know what's going to happen, even if you think you do. And the Buddha box is kind of the same, really. Um, there's a whole there's a whole a, a, a range of these. Um, they're basically tape loops in a box. They started off as being um, literally uh, for. Hence the name Buddha box for for Buddhists who do like chanting, mm. and it's literally just a little box with a speaker on it, battery in it, with a little loop of a sort of an arm thing or a, you know a chant thing, and so you can just put it on and it just plays forever until the battery runs out, you know, basically, and you can just put it on and meditate to it. But then lots of people now have taken that idea and moved it on and put all kinds of weird loops in it and. Well, I think the Buddha- and, and, and they're kind of uh, what do you call it? Sort of there's no copyright on them, so you can. Other musicians can use it and mess around with them as much as they want, and there's no. I think the Buddha's up to about Mark six now or something. Something isn't like it? that, yeah. But um, I, I, 
we're, we're both quite interested in the in the band Throbbing Gristle and mm. um, yeah they've got their own version and of it, uh, they they did a, a a version of the Buddha box and and um, I I bought one and um, it's got all kinds of interesting sounds in it and you can um, speed it up and slow yeah, it, it down the pitch and everything and uh, we use that on a couple of songs as well. Um, which again, you just just creates some quite nice texture. So yeah, it just um, makes kind of little so, ambient kind of yeah, funny little noises in the background, not sort of in the forefront, but just kind of a, you know yeah, just funny little yeah textures. As you Can say. you it's bring nice. it on stage and it already has a loop in it, or do you need to record a loop right there and then? No, no, live? It's, it's completely self-contained. It has. But they've all got different ones. But it's, it's got, got it's got yeah. say nine or ten different loops in it. You just press a button, it moves to the next one, moves to the next one, moves to the next one. And it's got a speaker in it and everything. So it, you work around the presets which are already in there, rather than yeah. recording yeah, but your you own can, loops. You can again, you can you can approximately tune it because you can speed up and slow down the tape, tape yeah. loop. So you can you can find a time within a, 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 a sort of range that you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, which is which is quite nice. And it's a nice. It's just it's a, it's a very nice thing to have. And it's very portable. I mean, it's about yeah. two and a half inches square in old money, which yeah. I guess is what They're very five nice centimeters. Toys. Yeah. You just stick it in. I mean, I've I've sat there on the bus with it just on in my pocket or whatever, and it's just going. And they don't the draw, and they don't draw going, any power. I think I've had the same battery in it for about three years. Does it run off <laughs> of nine volt the square battery? Or? No, no. Well, some of them. The, do you know what? Some it's, of them do have uh, a power supply. Adapter thing, but think, the Gristleizer doesn't. I think mine's a double A. I think yeah, the Gristleizer so takes a double A. But um, yeah. The original Buddhas have nine volt power supply things. Yeah, because well. you've got a couple of those, don't you? Yeah. Anyway, do you ever actually use them for their intended purpose to meditate to? No. With around. Uh, well, I, I, I've had when I've because I've got like a couple of them. If you have just a couple of them dotted around the room, just leave them on, and they're just sort of just creates a nice little. They're a bit like the or- sort of thing, you know. They're a bit like, like the oral, equi- oral equivalent of a smelly candle, really, aren't they? Yes, yes, exactly. You yeah. could use them together to create extra you atmosphere. Could. You could, yeah, exactly. And I presume this is something you, when used live, you have to mic up, or is there a, a, well, a jack just, output? Just literally stick it into the, you know, hold it up to the microphone like this. And it I will... should have bought it with me, yeah, really. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. I'm a full to next time. Because they're quite loud, considering they're only, yeah, that big. Yeah. Your band's motto is empty your pockets and be modern. How did you guys come about this and what does it signify? Well, it came about initially just um, through writing lyrics, but then it ended up never, you know, never actually get fitting into a song. So it was just a line that I had that I really liked. And uh, to me, it means basically, you know, you, all, 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 you don't need things, stuff, you know, physical. You don't need any of it. You don't, all you need is water and food and that's about it really you don't need anything so just you know there's no actual real point gathering stuff physical objects or at least i don't think so so i think it, i think it might, was... might be nice to have but you, you don't need them yeah you're not going to die if you don't shouldn't have them. define you exactly don't, but, you know the objects you own end up owning you so yeah i think i think also it's sort of it's about having an open mind it's about exactly yeah Leave, it's about leave being your an baggage. Art- leave your baggage at home. Empty yeah. your pockets. You and I think it's about it. being an artist as well, and the idea of being an artist. I think, um, you know, I think we we have in some ways notions of grandeur. Um, I think we, you know, in, in a lot of respects, you know, we're like the sort of Gilbert and George of 
art rock. I think, you know, when we think about if we're making badges or curating um, a DJ event or Matthew's painting or we're writing lyrics or whatever, I think we kind or having breakfast, I think we kind of just think it's all art. Yeah. If you know what I mean, I think the way we we think in that respect about, you know, how we present ourselves. I mean, I think on the surface we can, we can appear quite glib. We're quite funny. Um, we, we, we mock ourselves quite, yeah, quite, quite mercilessly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's we, actually quite it's not deliberate. to say we're not serious about what we do, but we're yeah. certainly not po-faced about it. Mm. So you take your art seriously, but you don't take yourselves seriously. Would yeah. that be? I take comedy correct? seriously. Right. <laughs> Yeah, we think. We, yeah. I mean, when we when we do our like our um, like the CD we released, we 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 left all the bits in the middle that a lot of bands would probably have edited out. Because yeah, they're usually the, the funny bits because the, they're yeah the mistakes and the just messing about sort well, of things, takes and false starts and things like that. Yeah, and, yeah, and the bits of banter that happen after you it, do a take. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, all that sort of thing. Oh yeah. fuck me! Can we do that one again? That kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh fuck me! That was brilliant. Yeah, I'm not implying that you swear a lot. That was just my addition. I yeah. thought I'd add a bit of edge to this interview. We don't swear very much, actually. Well, certainly not in public, anyway. No, no, I, I'm pretty good at swearing, but uh, no, we I've, very... I haven't sworn yet today, have I? No, no not, not yet. I, I think it's myself that's really lowered the tone. I apologise, guys. I'll join you shortly. <laughs> oh, apology accepted. <laughs> the, the, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. The Gilbert and George of art rock. <laughs> I like this because in, in using that reference, Gilbert and George, everything that they do is art. When you see the yes, two of them yes. walking around Shoreditch or Stoke Newington, yeah. that is in itself art. Yeah. They always look incredibly dapper. Exactly. Yeah, they always look great, yeah. Are you both similar in the sense that you go to the same restaurants at the same times and have the same meal or is that where the similarity ends um no we don't we don't share a bed um we, we, we have do, sure but we, we have on tour surely that must have happened <laughs> but, but um i mean we we psychically rehearse yeah we do yeah um and that's and cheaper than paying for a rehearsal space damn right it is it is yeah. a lot cheaper but i like we, we again this you know, everything that we do, we give a catalogue number to. It's like that factory records thing, and mm. we, we we quite like that as well. You know, our flyers yeah. have, have a catalogue number, and yeah, our the, badges have a catalogue number. The flyer and the badge and... is just as important as the lyrics or the everything else we do. The yeah, T-shirt is as important as the song, and yeah, the song is as important as the whatever. You know, it, literally everything we do as Unstoppable Achievers, it's, it's just one thing and anything we do under the Unstoppable Achievers umbrella well well have a a, a, a catalogue number. number and it will be as important as every other thing we do. Anthony H. Wilson would approve. Um yes, I'm sure he would. <laughs> How many releases have you had? The only actual physical release we've made uh was a CD we did was it twenty or twenty one copies of um which was a live live recording from a gig three songs on there um so that's the only physical release we've done everything else we've released so far <clears throat> apart from a couple of compilation albums things we've been on which have been physical uh, everything else has just been uh, online just as you know downloadable things um and we've done a couple of, sort of live radio sessions that sort of thing 
So we've got plenty of recordings and loads of live recordings, but uh, we haven't we haven't released any you know vinyl or anything like that yet. But um, but well, it's on the cards. I mean, we, we yeah, that's, we're working we're, on it. Yeah, I mean, we we did um we did a did a session for a Resonance Radio. Um, yeah, yeah. And we've been in contact with them about um and we we've now got um web files of that and we're, yeah, we're, we're going to get it sort of mastered or whatever and then yeah. hopefully put it out on like a seven inch or something they seem to be uh, they seem to Just be agreeable to us um, yep. um actually um sort of releasing it as as a um as, as a physical release which is uh, is very nice of them and they, they seem to have given us clearance to to do that so that's brilliant it's a bit like having an appeal release where exactly, you've done yeah, this exactly. yeah. section and then you can use it yeah exactly. to cross promote yeah Exactly. Well, we—I mean, we're, we're we're fans of Resonance Radio and, and and kind of what it stands for, and we have been for many years anyway. So, um, we, we, I suppose I suppose we're quite proud to actually to actually do the session for Resonance and be a yeah, and be absolutely. a part of that, if you like. So we'd we would like to. I think you sort of mark that somehow, and 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 end up with a a product of sorts from it would be would be quite a nice yeah yeah um, yeah and just a nice thing to have. I, I, I mean, we, like I say, we, we we'll probably do it as like a sort of four track seven inch thing, and um, I'm sure it'll all be pretty clear vinyl or something. And, uh, yeah, invisible vinyl. Yeah. It'll be as though you're putting your stylus on the platter. Exactly. <laughs> exactly yeah. Talking of sessions and the difference between what unstoppable achievers do in the studio and live. Yeah. On the recordings I've heard, there are many, many layers of stuff going on. How do you approach the live setup when it's just the two of you? Yeah. Obviously, you know, Kevin's covering the drums, but also using a Buddha or loops and yep. stuff. How do you go from having a multi-layered recording to then realising it just between the two of you, live at a venue or at Residence Radio? Turn it up. Turn it up. Uh, yeah, just make uh, it louder. Yeah. And, Pretty um, much, yeah. Yeah, shout <laughs> your head off. and uh, Yeah, we do a lot of shouting. Yeah, we like shouting. It's good. Um Speaking but yeah, I know what you mean. But uh, it's amazing what you know, just two people with you know, I say a couple of effects pedals and or whatever. You know, it's amazing how much noise you can make. Lots of people comment on that when they see us live. It's like I can't believe that that much stuff seems two to be coming out of the PA racket. when it's just the two of mm. you. Um, you know, and there's no sort of backing tracks or anything like that. It's just a guitar, well, about a third of a drum kit, and then like I say, a, a couple. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then like I say, some funny. Bloop, 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 sort of noises and then us shouting um but it seems to yeah it seems to just about hang together <laughs> Don't you, yeah, i mean yeah we've done uh, we're quite musical as well though i mean yeah we, there yeah. are bits where we where we where we shout but there are bits where we're quite quiet and delicate as well and we, 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 we sing quite nicely together i think at times well yeah i think that, yeah we are both you know yeah. experienced musical people i suppose but uh, but then we both like you know, well, deliberately messing around with that, and so yeah. it was like, well, you know, you don't need, to, you don't necessarily. Some, you know, we like really dumb, stupid. It's like the random fall. stuff as well. well. It's like so, the fall, or it's like uh, you know, fat white family or something. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, I think there's a, um, 
there's a rationale there, isn't there? It's quite yeah. obvious. There's a there's a game plan, yeah. you know, sort of, sort of musically. I think we and we we kind of design what we do. And I suppose it's like language, isn't it? I suppose you know collectively, you know, we have something like over seventy years' experience of being like musicians and, and playing yeah, music. Right. And I suppose you know it's like learning language, isn't it? You you start learning a learning language when you're born. But really, in the day-to-day basis, you probably only use a couple of hundred words. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have you have all these words available to you. But I mean, when was the last time you you said giraffe? <laughs> it's been a long while. When was the last time? You I think s- I was watching an Attenborough special at the time. Okay. Yeah. So you have that word available to you, but mm. it's not something you use all the time. Um, or inference, for that matter. Or, well, thank yes. you, Matthew. Yes. <laughs> or onomatopoeia and. So whilst you have all those words available to you, you probably only use a couple of hundred, two or three hundred words with any great regularity. And I suppose the music we make is is a deliberate version of that. We have all this language available to us, but we we just pick out like the essential keywords and phrases that we need to make that music and to to do what we can do with just the two of us. Oh, yeah, and we're, we're, yeah, and it's quite it's very di- it's quite disciplined actually to to do it because the temptation is and again when you're saying about recording it's like once you start recording stuff you can just start loading stuff on there because you can yeah and it's actually to actually say well no you're not gonna we're not gonna do that is is actually and 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 again you know just to just that thing it's like can say uh, uh jackie playing drums where he's just like a machine and just that that will to just keep playing the same groove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And go, no, I'm, no, I'm going to keep going with that. It's actually, you know, so deliberate and 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 you need quite a lot of willpower and discipline yeah, to, to actually keep it, do that. To keep stuff that Absolutely. simple and primitive mm. and brutal or, you know, or pretty or whatever, but just to make it as simple as possible and, it's, and, and sort of stripped down. I mean, you know, it'd, it'd be very easy and very obvious for us to go and get or for Kevin to start playing the full drum kit and to us to have a bass player or another guitarist or whatever, but that's precisely why we haven't done that. We've made us, we've given ourselves less and less stuff to work with, and then it forces you to obviously think of other ways to do that. Like, oh, well, we've got no bass, or we've got no other guitar, so that means how are we going to replicate that thing, or how are we going to play that when there's only one thing? It's not, even, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not even replicating it. It's just it's it's like trying to find. Uh, it's like trying to find a new equation, isn't it? It's like you know you have yeah. you have these things, and it's like you're just trying to you know it's just trying to very deliberately trying to find our own language um, to express this thing that we do. We're trying to make two plus two equal five. I, think oh, I like doing, that and I think equation. we're doing quite well. Yes. You're making a big sound for two people, so something is definitely working. And I hate to labour the point, but inference <coughs> rears its head again. Because right. in absence of a bass player, people listening to it yeah. will add their own low notes to yeah, it. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, when you're playing a chord, the root note and what the bass is doing, yeah. which can be accented by what Kevin may be doing on the, the drums, is inferred. Exactly. And people do, listeners do fill in a lot of space. They do, yeah, definitely. Your I brain mean, definitely does that. You hear people in the car singing harmonies and things like that, naturally when they're like singing along to like there's a CD or a tune on the radio, and they quite often don't even know they're doing it. Um, you, yeah, that's true. You know, like, it's, like that, it's like that thing, you, you, you only see about 10% of what you actually see, if that 
makes yeah, sense. Makes perfect sense. And, and, and you, yeah, and your your brain kind of fills in the gaps. Yeah, and I think your ears can do the same as well. Um, it's like that thing when you, you write a word know. down. As long as the first letter and the last letter are in the right places, you can muddle up all the middle ones, and your brain will still read it as. Yeah. Or you can the just, word, if you look at it quick enough, you'll just see the word and you yeah. won't realise that it's actually not even spelt right. Or you, yeah, or you can stick a number in the middle of a word yeah. and you won't even know it's, you won't even notice it's there until somebody points it out. Exactly, yeah. Because you, you, you don't expect it to be there. Mm. So your brain yeah, just filters it out. And it happens vocally if you listen to you know, hip-hop music or, to a lesser extent, Lou Reed and, and Bob Dylan. They can deliver a spoken word line yet when you hear people do covers of dylan or velvet underground tracks they will sing the parts that you actually kind of yes. hear because the, the melody is implied yes and yes. Th- there is a beauty in that i think sometimes you don't need to spell things out i think it's yeah because yeah. otherwise it it's too easy of a job for the listener to <laughs> yes. to go through yeah especially these days where you can Bring up a preset in Pro Tools or Logic or Cubase or whatever program that you're using, Ableton, mm. and you can produce songs which are complete in the traditional sense very, very easily. Yes. And it takes a, a lot more gumption and a lot more inventiveness to strip it down and yet to make the, the tracks work. I think you guys succeed in a big way Thank um, you. with that. <laughs> uh, I'm in the, I'm in the um, process of getting my old um, cassette four track. Uh, player um, uh, recording machine um, um, up and working again um, and um, I think we're going to try and do some recording on that absolutely the, is it the Fostex yeah it's my yeah, I used to have the same model yeah it's, it's my old Fostex and Dean uh, or something is it by any chance the, no the mine is uh, I think yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's about that one six X one sixty. So I don't know. I haven't used it for at a least. I got the X part right. It's, so it's, yeah. um, but it's a fantastic machine. Yeah, and, and we um, should record an album on that. And a a mutual friend slash colleague who shall remain nameless got a cassette stuck in it for me rather <laughs> kindly about a decade ago, and so it was put away in its flight case and put in the loft, and there it has lived ever since but um yeah it's going to be getting refurbed fairly shortly and uh the next recording is we do probably have tape hiss all over them nice so nice. Did... it'll fill up it'll fill up fill the up high the... end <laughs> exactly yeah. well we're sort of yeah i mean uh, yeah i mean we're a little bit sort of uh, not anti-craft but but whereas uh they did everything they possibly could to screen things off and they thought any noise that came in to the room that wasn't their noise was pollution we we actually do the opposite if there's if yeah, if, birdies, you're reco- if you're recording, leave the windows open. Yeah, if birdies are, you know, if birdies are singing or floorboards are a creaking or yeah, yeah, then then that that is part of the moment also. And I think you should be open, you know, you should be open to capturing that as well. I mean, why the hell not? Embrace the niceties. Yeah. Yes. Very much so. At the Dookie Radio Show, I do that in a big way. I like the idea that Molly tip taps around. You know, that there's yes. a dog in. In the studio, and it's a, a good presence having a yeah. cute collie wandering about. It's real. People. Yes. And it's honest. And it's, I think so many studios, commercial studios, places that you go to are so clinical 
It's yeah. like going to a hospital. Well, they never yeah. used to be like that, though. I mean, you listen to some of those old Rolling Stones records. I mean, you can hear the drum kit creaking. You can hear, you, you know, you, I mean, how often How often are they even in tune? Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Keith, Keith, Keith Richards' tuning in a lot of those songs, he's very approximate. I mean, I don't think Keith, Keith has, ever, has he ever owned a tuner. I think it's all done by ear. It's, yeah. it's great. It sounds great. It would sound it would sound so wrong if it was in tune. But if you actually yeah. if you actually get a tuner on his guitar, I suspect the ne- the needle's never going to be pointing straight up the middle. It's going to be there or thereabouts, and it sounds great. I mean, you, you t- I mean, usually, hmm. I think in, in those days, you know, in the seventies, to have a, a tuner, it would be one of those huge Pearson <laughs> looks like you know a radar on a. Yeah. Submarine. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't. It'd be it a piano, it wouldn't it? it? And they, I was it, saying, they, I mean, they would go to the piano, which may or may not be at concert pitch, and everybody yeah. would approximate what the A is. And as a result, you have this kind of natural C. chorus sound. Yeah. And exactly. it, it gives more room for the vocals. It's the gaps to, in between the, yeah, yeah, the notes. It's the excitement the, 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 I mean, yeah, but I, think that's, but I think that's why, you know, Andrew Luke, you know, Andrew Luke Oldham's productions of the Stones is. is Sorry, please don't crucify me. And I know he's not long dead, but I, you know, I much prefer Andrew producing the Stones than George producing the Be- uh, uh, George producing the Beatles, because I think he came, you know, he came to the Beatles with that classical background. And um, I kind of think sometimes John Lennon might have sounded better if he's a bit out of tune. Um, I know exactly what you mean. And and I mm. think you know John, particularly when you listen to like the latest stuff and the solo stuff he did, where it gets a bit more approximate and all right, that you know, he's he's hanging out with Elton John and Keith Moon and he's t- doing so many drugs and he's making mad records with Phil Spector. But you kind of get the feeling at that point that he's kind of making the records that he wants to. There's there's I don't know. I mean, and I'm, I'm not you know. I mean, magical, you know, some of that magical mysteries tour and white album stuff is just amazing. It's brilliant, but I don't know. I mean, I, I I picked up a copy of We Love You recently on seven inch, and it's just it's fantastic. It's so 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 good. I I love sort of Rolling Stones, sort of circa sixty six, sixty seven, sixty eight. That you know, her satanic majesties, all that sort of era stuff. I've got a real big thing for at the moment. I have to say. Andrew Luke Oldham's very dismissive of his role as as a producer. You know, claiming he didn't know what he was doing. And I think that's the the beauty of it. It's um, yeah, there's yeah. a kind of no rule book to follow. And those early recordings sound absolutely amazing. Yeah. Early did stones. you see? Um, um, did you see um, the the um, Tread Jazz Britannia thing that was on last night? That silly o'clock this morning. No, I, I, I missed that. Oh, it's man, it's all like the jazz wars and stuff. You know, between the trad jazzers and the and the modern jazzers. But um, so within the program, we're talking about Bad Penny Blues, which is like one of the first uh, things that Joe Meek was known for because I think he's a, uh, I think it was a Humphrey Littleton thing and sort of riffing away. And he, he said, and basically, I think they recorded it, and then Matey Boy went on holiday for three weeks, and he said he came back and he said, if, I, if I'd heard that record, I'd have told him why not to put it out it's like Joe Meek sort of messed about with it um distorted the low end of the piano and he and he said by the time I got back off my holidays I think I think it was Humphrey Littleton speaking I could be wrong um uh he said I came the time I came back off my holidays the record was at number 19 so I just kept my mouth shut but he said if I heard it before it going out I'd have told him I not to put it out well I love Joe Meek as well I mean I, I I funny enough I played just like Eddie this morning and um 
I find it a bit difficult to listen to uh, Joe Meek because it always just brings a lump in my throat. I think that I think his story is just so sad and mm. and uh, and so those great great records that he made. Uh, you know, obviously Telstar was the, the first one I I sort of remember. It remember still it sounds amazing. Yeah, oh, it's, it's awesome. Matt. Oh, it's brilliant. All the tracks actually he had a hand in are just haven't dated. I think because obviously Lord, uh, Lord, yeah. Lord Suchy's Jack the Ripper is fantastic. I love that song. Yeah. It's so um, good. It is so good. It's I, I love the idea that he was just so experimental with sounds and textures and would often to the, the detriment of his, of his relationship with the people he's recording yeah, yeah, with. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> would kind of drive them bonkers just to get the, the right sound of yeah. a coin yeah, yeah. falling into the toilet or, or yeah. whatnot. And his old studio on Holloway Road, yeah. is I know there's a, a, a plaque there, yeah, but is, yeah. is there anything, is it just an ordinary block of flats now? or it's a dirt, I can't remember what shop it's above now. But yeah, but it's not a museum. No, no, no. no, it's, no, no. A, it's not even an official, you know, one of those blue plaques. It's a black plaque that's not even one of those official ones yeah, it's just someone that, put it there i don't know that should who, be recognized that's, yeah, that's absolutely just, just wrong. part of um, our history absolutely yeah. but um before funny enough before the, the tread jazz thing on last night uh, um before that there was the, there was a thing about billy fury that was on and uh clem was talking on that who, who played drums for um for billy fury but clem played drums on on about everybody isn't he the most the most recorded the most successful drummer in the sense that yeah. the number yeah, of I sessions mean, that he's played on he's had yeah. like he's yeah. had something like in exactly. excess of like 200 hits or something and um, Crazy, and uh, just yeah great feel and he appeared in the Joe Meek story film uh, in cameo film. form as a taxi driver yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that but that was a nice touch I was reading an interview with Steve Lillywhite who produced the Rolling Stones in the, in the mid 80s during what was yeah certainly not a, a classic period of the Rolling Stones around the time they did one hit to the body and at a time when I think Mick and Keith were really not getting on and this I've, is the 1980s. I've, I've read Keith's book not that long ago. I think there's a lot of times so I think it's when they've not gone, to be quite honest. Steve Lillywhite, you know, quintessential 1980s producer. Very, very, very slick. Everything sounds as though it was re- recorded in Westminster Abbey. You know, yeah. huge amounts of, of uh, reverb. Left, right and centre on all of the instruments. And um, it was on a track, doesn't matter what the title was, and Keith's guitar, as you pointed out earlier, Kev, it's going to be a little, little bit out of tune. And Lily White said to Keith, you know, listen, any chance of you, you know, we've just done a take with the guitar, any chance of you recutting it? Keith said, no, just put it louder in the mix and it will work. And he did, and it did work. Just because it, it just, it, the Attitude guitar became the domineering yeah. force in the track. Exactly. And everything else, even though it might have been done to concert pitch, and in those days, it's, instead of tuning up to a piano, they probably everyone did have the little boss Digital tuners thing, to, yeah, right, to yeah. work around. And it, it's, it created a bit of a chorusine effect. Whereas to, from Lily White's point of view, I think he wanted to either have it recut or really low in the mix. And then suddenly it would have been like this strange, weird noise in the it background. It would have sounded like a mistake. Yeah. Well, it would have yeah. wanted would... to celebrate the, well, yeah, the well, vibe of, of it. Well, yeah. you don't, you know, well, I mean, you know, Keith, if Keith is one thing, is not one thing, it's, he's not apologetic. You know, it's like, here, I'm, I'm Keith Richards, have it. You know, and... He's 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 earned that, hasn't he? F strings, four notes, three chords, <laughs> two hands, and one asshole. <laughs> yeah, With regards good. to his uh, open G tuning, yeah. I, I love Keith and I, I love his uh, approach to music. And 
say, you know, just turn it up, man. I like yeah. it. But that's great. But I mean, that you know, that sort of era. I mean, obviously, I mean, the, the big one from that era for for me is sort of Martin Hannett. I mean, you know, I mean, he he invented a whole school of production just on his own, didn't he? I mean, he was he was. Um, a fairly odd character. Another it. tragic but, genius, in, yeah, in a way. Just accounts, his talent uh, and his demons were... Yeah, I mean, apparently, you parallel. know, I mean, who knows the real inside track, but, um, uh, uh, you yeah, know, I, I think it's, it's fairly well recognised that he, he took too many drugs. <laughs> um, but, you know, Lee Perry, uh, again, I mean, I, I mean, we love reggae, um, a lot of sort of dub stuff, and Lee Perry and things like that. And again, early public image and their... Um, you know their approach to um, you know to making records and you know that real sort of freedom on the first metal box. Yes, <laughs> it's a classic. It's I mean, timeless release that will yeah. be revered. So it sounds like for some, generations. It sounds like the an soundtrack of our lives. for Mojo or something, doesn't it? It's like I do, we we do listen to new music. <laughs> I suppose a lot of new music is very very conveyor belt. I think it's great that you guys are digging out the Fostex and that you're going to yeah. embrace the hiss. And the one thing great about working in four track, apart from the obvious limitations, is it's wonderful to be able to, in the analogue arena, to kind of ride stuff into the red. And do you know something else yeah. you can do as well? You can turn the tape over. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can. Yeah, yeah it gets... <laughs> you can turn the tape round. Yeah, it's really simple to do backwards guitar solo. Everything yeah. sounds if Russian. If you're doing it digital, all, all of a sudden you want to do a backwards guitar solo, it's like, oh, God, that's going to take days to do that on a computer, yeah. you know. Yeah, all like, you used to do in the olden days is just turn the tape round. It's like, <laughs> it's just so so easy. I think in the case of uh, the Beatles' reign, didn't John Lennon, in a moment of feeling, shall we say, not exactly sober, spool the, uh, the tape around the wrong way and thought... Oh, I like the sound of that. And then <laughs> it's, yeah, right, recorded yeah. the vocals around it. That could well be the case. <laughs> but um, no, we do. I mean, we do listen to it. Yeah, I mean, we, 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 I suppose what's happened with us, we've been really lucky. It's like in a lot of ways because people have come to us. People have found us sort of like-minded individuals, certain bands, certain people, certain establishments. We, we've never really gone looking for gigs or this or that or opportunities. We normally no, turn really. up they and seem... do something and somebody else turns up and says, oh, that was great. Do you, do you want to do a gig? And we just kind of go, yeah, okay, that'd be cool. Um, we have a kind of a say yes policy as well. So if we get offered, you know, any kind of gig, whatever it might be, you know, if it's viable, it, then we'll say yes, absolutely. Positivity. You exactly, embrace yeah. whatever opportunities come your way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's led to some really interesting situations where we've played, you know, where we've ended up playing in sort of art galleries or... Or fields uh, in Dorset, obviously. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, talking the gigs we've got coming up and we've actually got our first show in um, out, out, out of um, England. Uh, yeah, we're playing in France in... Well, not until November... But we've been invited but, yeah. to to open a a, a a chap over there's got um uh is has got a, an exhibition opening in a, in a gallery in the Alsace region of yeah a town called Mullaus yeah which is yeah and um, he, he's asked us to go over there and uh, play at his um at his um uh, yeah open exhibition open. opening at the galleries fantastic where did this person find you just via Facebook and that um. Not exactly sure, but uh, well, I say Facebook uh, somewhere on the internet. He I don't know discovered us. I don't know exactly how, but he obviously heard us somewhere. Um, yeah, then got in touch with me, and he was just saying that he was a big fan, and he you know was sort of sending him our music or whatever. 
and then he asked me about the artwork on our records you know and stuff he said who does that and i said that was me and he says oh i'd like you to put some this work into this exhibition i'm curating in november and i said fantastic brilliant and then he said and also i want us to come along and play on the for the you know the uh you know the opening night private view type thing hmm. so yeah and they're paying for us to go over there and we might rehearse that. for that <laughs> probably Possibly. not <laughs> i remember um again i mean the, the thing about not rehearsing that's that again is sort of a deliberate policy i remember um that, reading or seeing an interview with alan vega and and his notion of uh rehearsing or not rehearsing with suicide and and I liked I liked their take on not rehearsing and kind of thought, oh, that's kind of quite smart, that. You know, again, sort of, you know, creates possibilities that might not be there. I think you've got to have a certain ability to and uh, to yeah. not do, to not rehearse. <laughs> if you, and like. so you learn yeah. all the rules so that you can break them. Exactly, yeah. And <clears throat> I suppose if you're revisiting tracks and you do your mental homework for want of a much better yeah, phrase yeah, yeah. It, it means that when you do come together to revisit whatever tracks you have in your set you're going to have a, a really immediate reaction it will be that that energy of yeah. getting through something for the first time which is exactly yeah which is a thing of beauty because you can so easily when you're performing live and writing you can go into autopilot exactly yeah and, and that bounce. autopilot might be perfectly acceptable but it's not not to us. Yeah, yeah not often to us, yeah. It's, it's subdued. Yeah, I mean, when we're playing a, you know, generally when we're doing a gig, any whatever song we're playing, I'm, you know, we've already started playing the song, and I'm thinking, I have no idea what the lyrics of this song are. I better really, I better remember them in the next, you know, yeah, I've, I've bar. Ne- otherwise, I've ne- otherwise, yeah. this is going to be disastrous. I've so I have that. to remember it. <laughs> yeah, I've now got oh, about what nine seconds. Next? I don't know. Whoa. <laughs> but it keeps that. Well, it keeps on your toes, doesn't it? Mm. And the audience, obviously, as well. And also opens up the possibility for improvised lyrics. Well, exactly, You could yeah. go off on a tangent that you didn't realise that your well, that's it as well. headspace I mean, was in. Again, another thing I read recently was... Um, I, can't, I can't remember who wrote this or where I read it or anything, but it was somebody writing about um, solos in music, guitar solos, mm. whatever. But um, actually, it's an old like nineteen twenties thing. Apparently, when you had like dance bands and stuff, if uh, people were, like kind of digging the tune, and they were jitterbugging their asses off, and you wanted to extend the piece of music because it's going well, the band leader would turn around, give somebody the nod, and somebody would take it off on a solo, just simply as a means to extend a right, piece yeah, of yeah. music for the audience, for the dancers. Mm. And it wasn't about musical virtuosity or showing off or being fucking Jimmy Page or something. Not that I've got a problem with Jimmy Page either. Um, but it, it was never about that. You know, it's just, it was simply about, it was, I suppose, like a 12 inch mix for 1920. In, Absolutely. In yeah, you yeah. didn't want to kill the mood. The vibe, yeah, kill yeah. the vibe. Because yeah. you, you, your band had been working, you know, your band had probably been working for a couple of hours, three hours through in the evening, and, and the place was then jumping and the tune was going down well. So, you know, so a band leader would turn around, give somebody a nod, and they'd take it off somewhere. And that was that was the, the purpose of uh, Solo. I like the idea of that. I 19- do as well. Yeah. It's very appealing. It's like the 1920s. And to, hey, the crowd are really digging it. Mickey, take a solo. And, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. and Mickey's his headspace is just to keep the track going, to keep it, yeah. the, the interest level yeah. 
where yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Mickey's, than... yeah, Mickey's probably done. You know, pro- Mickey's probably gone for half a bottle of scotch by then as well. <laughs> yeah. If not, particularly if yeah. he's a horn player. Yeah, or if not, so, you know, or, or if not something else. And um, <laughs> so, who knows where it's going to go at that point? And that's quite exciting. That's mm. quite exciting. And and I like the the fact that it's not contrived. The fact that it's on the hoof and it's just like. And again, so I mean, sometimes it's like um, when when some of my friends of musicians and particularly guys that are sort of experienced and they're a bit worried about something i have a little mantra and I just say trust your trust your own musicality you've been you um one friend in particular springs to mind when i say this amazing really good guitar player but full of insecurities and stuff and i used to say to him very often and say just trust your musicality i tr- i trust your musicality why don't you mm-hmm. it requires a yeah. very different headspace as a musician to have that confidence and I think it's true I think people do is it confidence think about... is, it, is it confidence I, I think so yeah I think certainly if it's Chuck, you Chuck, mentioned Chuck, a guitar it could be, could be just sort of blind stupid <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I'm being diplomatic I, I suppose it, it, it depends on the context I think it's like from, from, from a, like a guitarist point of view a lot of the time it's going to be having the confidence to know when not to play yeah, and yeah, to that's... know when not to whittle like a mofo over something yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or the confidence in being able to embrace restraint or dissonance when required mm. um, to do so. Mm. And I think um, for a lot of players, it's really easy to get to stuck in the, the blues pocket or the, the traditional riffs yeah, yeah. and to be overly concerned about what the audience is going to think yeah. about the v- virtuosity yeah. and the lack of it that's what, what i mean also just could yeah. be utter stupidity and somebody <laughs> might be brilliant and yeah. they, I mean, they you know, number one might want to be told it relentlessly yeah so yes yeah, please help me i'm a genius yeah. <laughs> i mean look at some of those let's look at some of those um you know um buzzcocks solos like one one oh, one yeah. note solos awesome. love it <laughs> Genius. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. It's anti the prog yeah. movement yeah. at that particular yeah. time. And then you've got somebody like Keith Levine, uh, you know, coming out at the same time, or you, you know, um, you know, to, to, you know, coming out of effectively the same movement, at, you know, virtually the same time, but coming out sort of so poles apart. I mean, I suppose at, at, you know that particular time, the, the the mid to late seventies, you know, the, the legacy of everything that had gone before it couldn't be denied. I always think about the fact that you know the Damned had Nick Mason from Pink Floyd yeah. Yeah. produce them, yeah. Yeah. which is you know yeah. a bit like you know embracing the enemy. Yeah, but yeah. In reality, you know, in nineteen seventy two. 1973, I think, uh, you know, the Pete Shelleys, the, the, the Levines of the world were listening to, yes, yeah, Emerson, course, I mean, Lake and Palmer. Like Whether or not they loved it. Like I say, at the time, hmm. you know, it was frowned upon, oh, this punk band, and they've got Nick Mason in to produce them. It's just like, but the damned, I never really saw the damned as a punk band anyway. I always thought they were a psychedelic rock band. Yeah, well, so agreed. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, more like, I mean, I suppose uh, I suppose now you look at them, you kind of think, oh, yeah, you know, more in common, like sort of electric plumes and MC5 yeah, and, and yeah. things like that. Obviously. Absolutely. And, and they were just, well, they, I mean, the damned Love. basically just wanted to be the who, didn't they? They're extreme. I mean, extremely. Yeah, particularly when you listen to the, the, the drums. I mean, there's a uh, yeah. huge, huge Keith Moon influence on the yeah, dam. massively. Yeah. I'll tell you what else I was listening to this morning. So just take it somewhere else. I was listening to Ku Klux Klan by uh, Steel Pulse. And I, don't and I don't know who the guitar player is on there, but there's a, there's a really, really very good 
uh, guitar solo bit in, uh, in or guitar bit that sounds like it could have been somebody like Keith Levine. <laughs> Which probably means, you know, but Keith Levine would have been listening to Steel Pulse, I feel fairly sure. Yeah, probably. Uh, definitely. Mm. <laughs> definitely. I'm sure that would, I'm sure a bit of Steel Pulse would have been, been on Johnny's stereo uh, fairly, yeah, I'm sure, fairly yeah. frequently. <laughs> In the studio, there are two members of Unstoppable Achievers because there are two members in that band. I'm sure you've been asked it loads and you're going to get asked it again. Had you ever. Had other members in the lineup? Had you ever considered adding to it? Personally, I've heard what you've done is a mighty big sound for two people, and I don't hear the need for it. But in terms of your history, there may have been hidden members that we didn't know about in the Achievers crew. Uh, no. no, there's no, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's really, no. it's really boring. Because um, uh, I mean, a friend off, of ours, a friend of ours asked, to, um, um, offered to join our band recently. In which capacity? Did they? Uh, yeah, Edmund. Oh, Edmund. <laughs> but, but, and he, he actually might be one of the very few people that we might actually consider. He's like a, 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 a lunatic, um, uh, um, electronic sort of noodler type person a bit um, of a Brian Eno kind of character does yeah and 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 he's he's like um and he's he's kind of like um he's kind of like Clark Kent and until he's had like two, two pints of lager and then he just and, and then he turns into Superman sort of mad just um, just bonkers um but he, yeah. and he's like a he's like a librarian sort of mild man he, he was on the floor last time i saw him yeah well yeah yeah but he was trying to smash up one of his keyboards because he couldn't plug it into my amp but yeah and uh, yeah it was, it was entertaining so his frustration <laughs> his frustration with connectivity made him destructive yeah yeah yes yeah, so we, we can you know, i like the sounds of this guy yeah edmund yeah. He's very ice, actually. He's he's got a band. Uh, he's he's got a band. Uh, that's that, 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 that's probably a slight overstatement. Um, um, yeah, he does all kinds of collaborations, but he's also um, he's got stuff out under the the moniker Om, which is small O and about three or four M's. And I have to say, I love his stuff. There we go. See, we do listen to some modern music, hmm. um, and uh, and yeah, and his stuff is 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 uh, is very ace. You will soon be performing at the Alice's Wicked Tea Party number two. Now, this is not a new phenomenon for you because you did it last year. Yes. Cross Keys. Cross the, Keys, yeah. yes, down in, in the Dorset. heart of Dorset. Wim- Wimborne in Dorset. Mm. Yeah. Different field, apparently, this year. Uh, apparently, ah, they've okay. chopped the field, uh, the, the camping field and the, and the performance field are going to be swapped this year. Oh, Rather okay. interestingly. Yes, I like. Uh, yes, I enjoyed camping there last year. It's the first time I've been camping in years. Yes. Uh, and how did you get involved with that festival? And what was the lineup like then? Uh, well, Sean Histed Todd uh, asked us to do it, um, and obviously we said yes because we have a say yes policy. Um, mm. And um, who else was playing? Well, there was quite a few other bands, uh, people that we that were friends with anyway, that that were also playing there. So did Woods do it last year? Yeah, Anarchist Wood and. Um, can't remember who else now, off the top of my head. But yeah, it was quite a few people we knew there anyway. So it was all kind of a, you know, we already knew that there was going to be friends there and everything anyway. So it was all cool. And um, yeah, that was the first time we did the festival. So it was 
you know, wasn't... A... And we didn't really expect to do it this year. Um, I know they no, were putting we the build together and then we... And I know Sean had kind of put a bit of a message out saying, oh, if anyone that did it last year that wants to do it this year, wants to do it, let me know. Da, da, da. And... <sighs> For no particular reason. I mean, we we didn't really put our head above the parapet. We, yeah, I, mean, I don't know I mean, why. Just sort of, well, I don't know. I kind of thought. He, well, he it's not. He doesn't want the exact same lineup as last year's, but sort of thing. But then, um, he, but then he asked us anyway. So, from the sounds of it, your performances are quite different from one gig to the next. So, in a way, <laughs> they can be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they can be. In a way, the fact that you <clears throat> embrace the, I don't want to say chaos, but you embrace the uncertainties of how stuff can go yeah will make the fact that you are appearing there two years in a row to not be an issue it means that yeah, probably, people yeah. won't know what to expect and i think that's a good thing yes i think so as uh, well, yeah. have you seen the lineup for this year anybody that you're looking forward to seeing strut their stuff on um, the stage yeah uh, yeah there was actually well dead cuts i'd like to see yeah i haven't seen them since um, I haven't seen them for a long well time. actually i haven't seen them since uh, cassie joined the band Cause oh right, yeah. Because um, yeah, when because obviously um, um, yeah, sort of reunited, uh, uh, reunited with Mark. Um, so that would be kind of cool. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Starsha Lee. Um, we we played oh, with them yes. a few weeks ago, and then I put um, I, I, I put Starsha in touch with uh, Sean and managed to get them on the bill. And um, they're, they're both really great bands, and who we're going to be welcoming into the studio here very soon. So, oh, right, right. Right. Yeah. you guys have got good taste. But I like, yeah, um, yeah I like. Uh, it's, I mean, Starsha Lee's quite is quite an odd one because I, I don't really like rock and roll. That always sounds like a mad thing to say, doesn't it? I don't like rock and roll. I, sp- I, I suppose, I suppose what they do in that. It's just something that I can't do. I don't think I'm very good at rock and roll. I never thought I was very good at rock and roll. I think I can kind of blag it a bit. I kind of know how it goes. But when I was learning to play drums and sort of going to see friends and some and 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 oh god, jamming—it's a horrible word, isn't it? And I was sort of you know bashing out Clash songs or something. I never felt I never felt I was very good at it. But then I really like sort of a lot of the, the drumming on sort of stack stuff or public image or, or reggae stuff. One of the first jobs I ever went for was actually in a reggae studio when I was about 18 and I was looking for basically putting a house band together. I didn't, I didn't get the job, but um, that was the, one of the first things that I, that I went for as, a, as, a, as an eight, 17, 18-year-old kid. I, I made some inquiries about that. I would, like, I would really, really like to have done that. I suppose you can bring those elements into unstoppable achievers. Well, I mean, there's a sense in which I, uh, in which you do because um, I mean, I mean, it's that thing of like when, you know when you when you hear some drummers they just really overcomplicate sort of playing funk or soul and that because yeah. quite often what happens is the drummer the, the drummer's just keeping it pretty much for you know it's pretty straight and you can like, I think of something like. Um, Superstitious, which I think um, I think Stevie probably played drums on that as well. But you listen to the beginning, beginning, it's just everything you need, and all the drummers are doing that. But it's still, it's still just, but it's really swinging. And then you've got all that space in there for that like, the nice funky keyboard to come in, and and it's just, but it's just so 
again, it's like it's like can, isn't it? It's going yeah. back to that sort of thing. And again, when you were saying about sort of you know having the having the taste or you know that you know a bit of restraint or something, I think Stevie Wonder's a great drummer. Amazing feel. He knows Actually. what to not play, and just the well, idea yeah. of keeping the groove. Pure. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, my don't, wife, you don't have to do loads of fillings and mm. whatever. Well, my get bored. And yeah. <laughs> in the broadest yeah. sense, my, my wife's in the industry and um, they, uh, one of the companies um, she used to work for, there was a little um, demo studio over there in Chelsea. And uh, Stevie Wonder used to do um, little eight tracks and little 16 tracks. And not that many years ago, I'm only talking about, you know, you know, less than a decade ago, oh, anyway. Blimey. And Stevie Wonder would be sort of chipping up in um, sort of down near Cheney Wharf and um, whacking into this little eight track studio they had around there. Really, it was um, it was just a little um, uh, as I understand, I never I never visited it, but it was just a little um, uh, you know, sort of place where you do like little voiceovers and uh, stuff for like um. You know, cheap adverts and, and mm. stuff like that. So that it was that kind of place, sort of routine, uh, yeah, a routine in sort of place, really. But he used to go in there and, and knock a few demos out when he was in this country. Apparently, it would have been um, uh, something to see. All of the yeah. stuff happening just down the river. Yeah. So I'm, I'm the one that's supposed to be in the industry, and, like, and, my, and my wife has all these, um, you know, amazing stories. I know I never get stories like this. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Jealous of my own wife. <laughs> Oh, no, she's ice. I think your Facebook page describes you as psychedelic punk music. Now, I hear a wider range of influences. I know what it's like when you put in your description on the book of face and it's a bit of an afterthought. But I do hear a wider range of influences. I do hear a lot of cardiacs in what you do. Would that be accurate? Yes. Oh, good, good. (laughs) I know it's really frustrating as a musician to have people throwing potential influences in your direction, but it just the cardiacs to me kind of felt like uh, more of a reference point than psychedelic punk. But then you only have a couple of words to choose from in the Facebook. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. we're thinking more sort of, you know, you know, um, uh, you know we're thinking like Sid Barrett and, and, and sort of more about the words. Uh, I think when I think we're the, probably probably like the that. probably the all-time biggest influence on my sort of songwriting and the way I play guitar is probably Sid Barrett's solo albums. That's probably yeah. my biggest influence, really. But the way from, he puts from words from together, 15, is, sixteen, and yeah, yeah and words as well. Really so, and then obviously, and the way that obviously that's influenced Cardiacs and various other things as well, and and you know that kind of and like Kinks and stuff like that, all that kind of what I think of as psychedelic. Or you know, have been. I mean, I would. Kinks to me have done have been psychedelic punk band among other things in along their way. Mm, absolutely, I think the difference. See, um, my friend certainly yeah. has come yeah, elements all that of, kind of stuff. Yeah. that in a big way. I think the difference yeah. with Sid though is by the time Sid's doing his solo albums, it's very much about the words and the music is accommodating the words. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if something needs to be that long when you get sort of the slight sort of extra little tagged on bits or time signatures are starting not to be just in little bits of fours and eights anymore you start getting sevens and nines and elevens because he needs to get these extra words in and then then the music starts becoming quite interesting i think because it's kind of like well how do we get this how do i get this music to fit the words rather than our strong three chords together and now i need some words to go over it which, which is how it's working before but it's like old, it's like old rhythm and blues, when um, you know, 
it wasn't like a 12 bar form at all things were just you, you know you listen to old lead belly stuff and stuff like oh, that my word, and yeah. you start trying to count oh, yeah. bars out and stuff like that and it's you all like can't yeah, yeah. <laughs> my word it's, i tried doing it so, whoa what yeah. is this black girl don't lie to me tell me where Yeah. But it's like stuff like that as well. And again, I mean, um, you know, a lot of those guys would have would have been aware of stuff like that and aware of the fact that there are other possibilities that you know it doesn't it doesn't just have to go one two three four two you know you can go one two three four five one two yeah if it needs to. Mm. And I think we we're fairly comfortable with that. Well, yeah, we are. That certainly comes across in the tracks that I've heard mm. one thing about if you listen to lead belly and <clears throat> all the kind of those early blues recordings is if you count it out it it, it seems very very complicated but then you you hear it everything makes perfect sense so and that's yeah. like the yeah. serves yeah, big time and that's like yeah. the cardiacs mm. it's got a completely natural sort of seemingly obvious flow to it once mm. you've even though it's very at the same time can be very jarring and <laughs> But I think that's what we like about Throbbing Gristle as well. I think there's... Or what we like about Soft Boys. Yeah, yeah, Soft Boys again. Well, and Soft Boys obviously massively influenced by Captain Beefheart. It was also, again, this completely bizarre stuff where he's obviously come from the sort of standard kind of blues, rock and roll, that kind of stuff, but he just twit that little bit to it that makes it really strange. But it's obviously just blues music, basically, but it's... Amped it up. Yeah, he's done... Put some other little bit on it, and it's taken it to somewhere completely different. Sonically, I could certainly hear the influence of Throbbing Gristle on what you're doing. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think mm. perhaps in the broader sense, sort of approach, and I like. I mean, we like the. Um, you know, I love their singles cut sleeves, uh, and I love the you know the industrial records. Uh, the look of it all. Um, I like the the idea of it. I like the fact that you know, um, you know. I like the idea of Coombe. I like the idea of um, again of that everything they did being art. The, the fact that they had an art space. The fact that they had the Death Factory. The fact that mm. just how everything just ties together and their their just general approach. I don't think they always. You know, don't get me wrong. I don't think they always got it right but then when they did get it right and you, you know you get an amazing record like united in the beautiful sleeve and and the, it, just the whole thing comes together and you kind of go oh that's that's just a lovely thing i mean I've, I've got a copy of united on white vinyl and it's just a lovely lovely thing it's a great record it's beautifully packaged that beautiful black and white photo on the cover we've done a cover of that as well we have just once just once but we'll probably do it again i doubt it I think you should. <laughs> no, I think we should. I'd like, we've only done two covers, yeah. Throbbing Gristle and the Kinks. Kinks. Which Kinks kind of, track did you do? Uh, it's all called Fancy. And nobody believes that. No, no, nobody believes it's that. It's the Kinks. The Kinks one sounds nothing like it. But it is, I swear. <laughs> Thank you. 
not getting it right. I like the fact that that would happen with the band. It, it's so much. It's like, well, they no, took chances. So it's, well, exactly. Yeah, they shouldn't get it right. No, it's so yeah, it's yeah. absolutely right and proper. Um, because again, where you you know, I like the, uh, you know, I love Cozy's guitar playing. Yeah, she's not really playing guitar. She's just got a mountain of effects, and she's hitting it or plucking it on string or, or fiddling about with just hitting it with something or whatever. But I think it's a great, you know, it's a, a, at least it's trying to do something different, you know. And, and sometimes you know, I went to see um, Chris and Cozy last year, I think, and it was a really good gig actually. And we went to see. Psychic TV the other one a few oh, yeah, on, yeah. on your birthday, didn't we, as well? Which was uh, which was which is really ace actually. Yeah, it was. The track Kettle of Fish, how did that come about? When I first heard it, and that was my first exposure to you guys. It it, re- it recalled uh, a meeting between the Cardiacs with a little bit of Howard Devoto thrown in and just a, a lashing, a tiny little hint of Carter, the unstoppable sex machine, the unstoppable <laughs> being quite right, relevant. Yeah, yeah. Kettle of fish, kettle of fish, kettle of fish, kettle of fish, bread go one, Cheever's track it was really one of them songs that I wrote just mucking about like not even trying to write a ser- not sort of being a serious artist and trying to write a proper song like a song a song sing a song writer kind of thing it was just like oh that's a really stupid riff and I could just shout Kellerfish 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 over it <laughs> and then halfway through change it the rhythm and you know make it go into another thing and so yeah it was just mucking about really um, and also the fact that it's it's, I mean, it's less than two minutes long, as an awful lot of our songs are, because um, they just wanted to keep everything brief. So it's just like, but that's how long quite, songs used to be. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's just like I don't need to go on. Jailhouse Rock is sub two minutes. Have a look. Yeah. Well, have a look through Buddy Holly's catalogue. Mm. Same with like Pixies True. as well. If you look at them on. You know, most of their songs are well under 
two and a half minutes and a lot of them are just like a minute and a half. Yeah, I think we've got about I think we've got about a dozen songs that run in at about two minutes and then we've got Fancy which runs on to about fourteen, I think. Yeah, I think there is Ray a, Davis would be proud. Yeah. I think there is yeah, I think I'm I th- waiting to get the letter saying cease and desist. Yeah. I think I think I think fourteen minutes was about our record on well, Maybe on we'll that try one. and do it longer. Uh, uh, at the festival, the rabbit hole. But indeed, yeah. Well, we, we might. I mean, maybe we'll just do a half an hour version, and that'll be our set. I mean, oh. just a one-song set. Who knows? Quite we, Grateful Dead-like. We have thought. Yeah. Of, I mean, again, yeah. it's, it's something that that has been considered. Kettle of Fish feels like it started around you with a guitar, and then both of you coming together, jumping on board. It became. The unstoppable achievers. Right now, a poppycock is is a different proposition. Number one, it starts with that great sample. You know that is poppycock. That oh, yeah. is bloody poppycock. That is poppycock. That is bloody poppycock. That is poppycock. That is bloody sample from it's from a f- <coughs> it, I, I can't remember the director's name but it's from a, f- a f- Agatha Christie film called Evil Under the Sun and I because I had this song called Poppycock uh, and I, I think I'd actually done that recording um, already and then happened to watch this film and there was this guy saying well it's Poppycock bloody Poppycock and I thought oh I'm going to record that so I watched that again on plus one an hour later and, and recorded it and then looped it and stuck it on the beginning but yeah that was again that was kind of that song was again coming from that kind of 
kinksy Sid Barrett kind of that sort of era of sort of psychedelic thing but you've got the harpsichords and a bit medievally minstrelly you know that kind of thing which is what it was kind of meant to be I don't know if it, that comes across necessarily but but I like a bit of that sort of yeah almost medievally kind of psychedelic influence that was going on I, I do like a bit of that I'd like to do a version of Salvation Army Band of that. Yeah, that'd be great. I think that would work really, really well. I always, um, I always think the the middle bit really sounds like something that Salvation Army could, uh, a Salvation Army band could play. Yeah, I'd like a bit of brass on on some of the tracks, definitely. Well, back to stuff being inferred and implied. I, I <coughs> was adding horn parts when I was listening to it in my head. Oh, right. <laughs> so. <laughs> Absolutely. A lot of the the sort of the accents and uh, that feature in the tracks and lend themselves to uh, a brass section. And if it's from the Salvation Army, all the better. Yeah, yeah. The old <laughs> makeshift. Now that sounds like a live recording to me, or is that a recreated? No, it is right. It is, yeah. And yeah. It, does that give an accurate flavour in terms of the what people can expect when they see you live? Uh, yeah, I would think so. Yeah, Cause I think I think the old makeshift sort of captures the band. I would say if you want to hear sort of one song that kind of sums us up at the moment, yeah, uh, I think I, I'd be a good I'd, one. I'd be quite happy for that to be our, our representative. Yeah, yeah, like. yeah.
But um, I think with uh, the old makeshift, it probably um, shows our will to just kind of stick on a theme, like we were talking about, sort of Can or Jack and, and Jackie's drumming. Um, it has that sort of... Um, it's been likened to Wire, I think, in certain quarters. Where it's, again, it has that sort of awkwardness to it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like the way the lyrics sort of... Scat, uh, sort of almost don't quite scan over the music if you like because the the, the 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 words are quite i think rhythmically mm. different to the the which which i like which i really like as well the, the words are creating a, a, a counter rhythm to what's underneath if yeah, you like yeah. the like the, the the rhythm of the um um synth or the the, the drum part so yeah uh, and it's one of my few guitar solos as well Yes, I don't do that many. And Although also, Poppycock has one as well, I suppose. And it's got nice, mm, and it's it's got quite a nice harmony at the end, at the end bit as well. Yeah. So it sort of so it does a little bit of everything, really. It illustrates mm. how you engage with the audience at the beginning when you're when you yeah. sort of say, "Don't look at him, look at me." Yes. Yeah. 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 Were, uh, were you feeling sort of left out in the? Uh, yeah. From an audience yes. attention point well, of view, I think I had sunglasses on at the time, so I couldn't see what was going on anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's a brilliant live record. The actual sound quality is great. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, Paul recorded it from um, Anarchist Wood. From Anarchist Wood, yeah. And And, mastered uh, it, whatever. We were were very pleased with it. I don't don't think we knew he was recording it. I think it was only sort Mm. of transpired later and he went, oh, cool, did that. And we're like, oh, that's great. Yeah. (laughs) Something like that, anyway. And there's this kind of didgeridoo droning quality to it, which is. Mm. Quite hypnotic, and well, that's the uh, Atari console just, yeah, that you were talking oh, about came before. From, that's from the, that. that's oh, the brilliant. Synth, that's the synth. Pedal. Nice piece yeah. of kit. It's yeah, it has its moments when it, it works. <laughs> it works really but, well on that track. But as you can, see, yeah, but you can also see there's about a minute and a half of trying to get, get it, it to, to do, do what you wanted to. What? Was that at the beginning? When yeah, yes. I wasn't sure that was like a deliberate. Kind of textural. We don't need to just have a well, one, we, two, we, three, we, four. We Ramon should be here intro. saying no. That was a deliberate textual thing. Though. It was a deliberate yeah, textual yeah, yes. thing. Yeah. And I yeah. just took um. No, I just it just took about a minute and a half to get the bugger sorted out because like you know it's, it's just dealing with analog kit. I mean humidity changes, heat changes. Suddenly it ain't doing what you want it to do. So it's just uh it's fighting with you. And there's always the bear factor as well. And there's the bear factor. The the bear factor, the analogue factor, yes. the heating the humidity factor. And uh, Yeah, there's tip- probably an equation for that as well. Mm. Beer plus analog equals bear. Uh, something <laughs> like that, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean yes yeah, probably yeah, that's probably um yeah, probably drinking gin slings and trying to operate that thing uh, after a couple of those is probably not such a good idea. So gin, oh, I mean, well. gin alley, gin alley recreated on the stage. It's, it's a dangerous thing that you're flirting mm. with. Are you a gin drinker yourself, Matt? I'll drink anything, really. Right. But well, live, it, do you well, have a... It's part of our London thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, we, we, we sort of throbbing gristle and the kinks and, and you know and uh, cardiacs and London gin it all seems to sort of fit together somehow doesn't it mm. I do so, like gin yeah I like gin as I well I like gin actually. as well yeah anyone's come, yeah, anyone that wants to sort of bribe us you know um, um, we have a yeah. yes policy we, towards, we, bribery. We have a, towards bribery yes, yes. 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 we do indeed yes. yeah. changing the subject <clears throat> you mentioned London who do you think the next London mayor will be 
I've no oh, idea. I think it'll be. I, I don't, don't even know who's in them running. I was reading the leaflet in the toilet this morning. Uh, it's a good place to read yeah, it. Yeah, there's an awful lot of really disgusting, sick people in there, though. Yes. I mean, wow. It's um, scary times, and uh, a lot of controversy surrounding the uh, the, the Labour and uh, Tory candidates as well. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting election in our in our fair city, to say yeah. the least. I mean, I'm certainly just because I, you know, I'm a lefty, so I'm I'm definitely on. I've got to vote for one. Well, I don't have to vote for one of them, but you know, I'm sure I will vote for Sadiq Khan. But um, and I like the fact that. He's a British Muslim as well. I like that as well. And my politics veer very, very much in the left. There are other parties make an informed decision. But uh, if you're informed, you'll make the right decision. But uh, there's some skeletons in the closet in terms of uh, his views on certain things, which I realise it's difficult to to find an absence of. But uh, it's inevitable. Well, anyone that gets to the age of 40 is bound to have a skeleton in the cupboard or two. Yeah, Mm. exactly. Uh, it's not, just depending on how, sort of how big and scary that there's, skeleton there's some is. Big and scary ones. Yeah, there's there are. Really big and you know, really scary. I mean, yeah. I mean, how on earth do you get to be? You know, do you get to be forty and not have a skeleton in the cupboard? True. By skeletons, I don't mean so much the fact that um, you know prostitutes were solicited and affairs. It's more just um, things which could be deemed as being, See, shall we say, racist. In, in Italy, that would not. In so, Italy, that yeah. wouldn't be a problem, wouldn't it? No, that's it's fact, a prerequisite. You know, yeah, I mean, prerequisite. Yeah, exactly. It's like well, you, 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 you don't have a mistress. Well, I'm not voting for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I'm going to be doing a, a Steve Wright style link here Now oh. we, we wish the right choice is going to be made For this particular upcoming London mayoral election Which brings us to the last track of yours that we'll be playing today Which is All Wishes End in Stars ah. Are you embracing the reality of mortality in this track Or have I added that dark element Myself, the idea that we all come from the stars and we end up in the stars and well, that our wishes are temporary. Well, no, you're quite right. It's like um, Carl Sagan said, you know, we're all mm. made of stars or, we're, you know, we're all made of the same thing. Everything is made of... All matter is made of the same stuff and it's all... And literally every... Uh, well, the way I think anyway is everything works... Literally everything in the entire universe, everything is all about vibrations and it's literally like, yeah, good vibes, bad vibes, man, but it's absolutely 100% factual as far as i'm concerned we've never we've never really spoken about that's why music is such a good and magical and obviously it can be used as a negative thing but it it should be used as a positive force because it's literally vibrations i mean that's you know sound is vibrations Mm. and it has physical it's you can't see it or you know you can't feel it because it's coming through the air but it has physical effects on you and Mm. that's what that is
We never really spoken about the lyrics, but for me, it was sort of, I've always thought it was about being connected. Yeah, every, everything is connected um, to everything else, and everything. My my little boy recently said to me, um, uh, "Are you going to die one day, Dad?" And I said, "Yeah." And he's like, and then you look quite crestfallen. I said, "Well, don't." I said, "Well, don't worry about it." I said, "I'm not. I'm not planning on doing that anytime soon." And I said, "And anyway, all the molecules and everything that I'm made of will still be there." The, you can't get rid of them. Yeah. I'll still be floating about. Exactly. And he kind of went something else. Oh, and that was that dealt with. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a really good way. Because my dad promised me that he wouldn't die, the lying bastard. Oh, <laughs> dearie when me. I was, when I was a little boy. Right. And uh, so I didn't want to give my little boy the same answer because I just thought it's 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 quite disappointing when you get to it and you kind of think, oh. Yeah. And how old is your boy? Uh, he's six. He's six. But he's very cool with death. <laughs> Which I know sounds a bit odd. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, he says things to me like... He's got a cool father. You know, he says, oh, thanks. You know, he says things like, you know, you know when you're dead? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, just, it's, it doesn't it's seem such to... such a drag. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it doesn't seem to really phase him. I mean, I had, a real, I had real problems of coming to terms with my 
sort of mortality as a kid. I mean, it, it was Sunday nights used to scare the living bejesus out of me going to bed. I, I, it was like songs of praise, bath, bedtime. I used to hate going to bed on a Sunday night. I used to hate the baths. I used to, yeah, well, I did too. Yeah, I think people take too many baths and showers yeah. these days. I've, I've cut down quite you, considerably over the last couple of years. But, um, yeah, and then sort of that thing about sort of getting to grips with the fact that you're going to die one day. It's just, uh, I had real problems with that when I was sort of my, like when I was that age, sort of six, seven, I used to hate, I used to hate, I used to physically feel sick going to bed on a Sunday night and, and songs of praise used to, maybe it was just the Yates creature, but he used to like just, just kind of scare the living Jesus out of me. And, um, but Alex doesn't seem to, that's my little boy, he, he doesn't seem to, um, well, he just takes everything he's trying. It's just like... Pfft. He's very modern. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose he is. He is. Yeah. I suppose that in your house you're not blasting songs of praise on a Sunday night either. So that <laughs> no, may help. No, no, no. Or forcing baths. No, we, we don't really force anything. I mean, we ask him. And, you know, would you be kind enough to put that away, perhaps? An enlightened parent. It's a different style of, of <laughs> usually, parenthood Usually a bit days, louder than that, I'll be honest. It's more like, can you put, please can you put that away? Um, <laughs> oh, no, he's, no, he's really cool, man. I'd... I do stuff under the, under the moniker Silly Boy Blue and do the uh, very kindly people let me come out and play my records sometimes. And um, it tends to be a, a sort of just fairly um, broad range of, of stuff. I mean, yeah, I, re- I really like I really like things like um, Temptations as well. I mean, Dinah Ross and the Supremes is, is probably like my favourite band of all time. Supremes. The songs are so good, and uh... you know, things like Stone Love is just so mm. it's just powerful, powerful, powerful. But then, a Ball of Confusion, I generally play that whatever I'm. Wherever or whatever I'm DJing, I will generally find somewhere to put Ball of Confusion on. Is, just is it Florence Ballard? Amazing. What a fantastic voice, my word. And what a tragic early end to her life as mm. well, which obviously we've been hearing a, the news of a lot of people who have mm, uh, yeah. been leaving us far too soon and there are too many to mention, and uh, we're only four months and a bit into the year, but yeah. um, yes. We need not get dark. Well, I've got a ticket. We all end up as stars. Yeah, I've got a ticket to go and see Neil Young in a few weeks. <laughs> I'm not saying uh, I'm not saying anything. He'll be there stomping away. He'll be there stomping away. Well, I want to try and see Iggy. At, um, he's he's out at the moment, and uh, the dead tour as well. But, um, apparently, this, the, the, the new album is his first number one. In the states, the album went—I believe the album went straight at number. Really, one. with with that musical history and heritage, it took and, them until 2016 a, to get a number one. I, I could be wrong, but apparently, it's the first number one album he's ever had on the American rock chart. My is, word. Isn't that mad? It speaks volumes. Isn't about that mad? Yeah. The industry yeah. and influence versus sales. But can yeah. you think of where he was yeah. in like this, but by by 1983, he's got you know he's got um. He's got Blondie being his backing band, and basically, um, uh, oh yeah, Clem Burke and Carlos Alomar were playing with him around that time. It's a tremendous. Know, but um, he's got, but basically, he can't get a record deal. Uh, it, by that point, he's, he's. I think, I think, um, Chris Stein basically played um, 
paid to record Zombie Birdhouse. Blondie Brew's backing band, I think Chris produced it, I could be wrong. And I think they made it for about 8,000 bucks. And he, and he can't get a record deal. I mean, it comes out on I mean, Zombie Birdhouse, he's a great album, comes out on some funny little label, I, don't, I can't remember what it was. It's yeah, pro- yeah. Probably someone will sort of email you later and say, no, <laughs> well, that was Warner Brothers. Um, but I'm fairly sure it was, it was fairly, I think it's quite obscure within his... Um, Probably a subsidiary of, of a larger label. But it's great. It's a great album. The actual, the actual track, Zombie Birdhouse, is... is um, was it? Oh, d- d- it's an amazing... It's one of my favourite Iggy tracks. I really like the album as well, actually. But my goodness. So at the, the age of 69, and after being in the business for all of these years, he gets a number one, or if not a number one... a you know, a, a top ten album. Yeah, nice and birthday present for him, man. Huh? Absolutely. Nice birthday present for him. Absolutely. David Bowie must be looking after him. Yeah. Up, up yeah. there, if you believe in that kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe the molecules and the spirits are in their own way <laughs> propelling people to to make an informed choice. Yeah. And you think about, you, you know, you, you know, you think about when he's doing those albums with the Stooges or he's doing those albums with Bowie and... You know, the albums with James and, and stuff like that. All those really, you know, solid, solid bits of work over the years. And then, you know, and then he has, then he does a cover version of like something stupid with that Debbie Harry, and that ends up being pretty much the biggest thing he ever does. Just something totally far mm. away. Oh, did you ever? Oh, did you ever? That yeah. was it. And he did, was that with, it was with Debbie That's Harry? That's with Debbie Harry, it? yeah. It was the for the charity release um, yeah. for uh, it was like an uh, anti AIDS charity or AIDS yeah. awareness charity. And yeah, bless, that became a huge introduction to a new yeah. fan and for, base. And again, for, you know, for a lot of people, and at that time, that was probably the first thing I'd ever heard by Iggy Pop. Mm. I think it was about 1990 yeah. or so. So I suppose that, you know, four or five it's years had passed mad. since Wild One. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's... When you think about everything that happened to music between 85, 86 and 1991, whenever the... Did you ever come out? Well, five years in pop music is a generation, isn't yeah. it? Particularly in that era, absolutely. You know. yeah. uh, but I think in any era... I mean, you know... Um, do you think it's the case now yeah, so I do. much? I do. I, I, do. I want you to be right. I'm not so sure. I do. Well, I, I'm... I think you know, one direction I think they're, they're you know I think they're very sort of genre and age specific mm. um, I'd, I, I would say if you pick it if, if you if, if you basically say girls somewhere between the age of 12 and 16 that will probably be a big chunk of their demographic I mean I'm, I could be wrong mm. um, and that will be you know, a big, big part of those, you know, those young people's lives. Those records, like when the guy left one day, it was just like, you know, the, the reason why it was news. I was depressed. <laughs> well, the reason it was, I was depressed, they all didn't leave. The reason it was, you know, such big news is because it means so much to to, to young lives, and pop music still does mean a lot to young people's lives. I, I, I do truly agree believe with, that. I agree with that, but I mean, in, inherently, the actual kind of sonically, the way that they sound isn't that different from. Take that before them, and the, the point which I'm making is well, it's not different. It's not. It's not that different from the Osmonds, and the Osmonds, mm. the Osmonds aren't that different from the Partridge family and the Partridge family. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I suppose that, you know, every, you only get that opportunity to be 13 or 14 once, mm. and for those things to make that opportunity, you, you know, to to 
to have that impact in your life, you, you know, and for it to mean that, you know, when when it re- when it really means everything, you know, and we've been through that as kids, you know, where, uh, you know. I mean, I was lucky. I mean, I I started getting the gigs when I was pretty young, and I, I and I and I got to see some fairly cool bands when I was a kid, and you know, I got to see the birthday party, and I got to see the Clash and things like that. So, because I am old, and um, you're fortunate, is what you are. And I started getting the gigs was when I was four. So, um, and um, so yeah, I saw some you know pretty cool bands, and at that time, you know, it's like, you know, you will only go out in the right trousers, your hair just that's what, and then you, you just going down the shops, and you buy the enemy religiously, and you, you, you know, and you, you, you tune into John Peel, and you, and, and everything's just got to be, you've got a really clear, defined idea of, of, who, of, of what it is, who you are, and, and, and how those songs, what those songs mean to you in your life, and, and that, and that feeling that you have when that age, and how important that that culture is, that pop music, you know, it it, it speaks to you, and it and it and it also by wearing that Clash badge on your or that you know that public image T-shirt, it tells the rest of the world about who you are in 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 shorthand. And and it is just so important. And I do think One Direction fans think like that and feel like that. You know, look at the tweets. You know, when that guy left, mm. Zane. I agree that people you are know. passionate about it, but it, it feels as though people go to Topshop and they will buy a Ramon shirt without knowing the, the Ramones. And well, that's, it, that's become something so much more than just a uh, you know than just a t-shirt and just a band, isn't it? It's it's a whole. I mean, I was, you know, I was so like, you know, the the bands that, you know, when when you got into Roxy Music, yeah, you know, I was I wasn't cool enough as a kid to get into Roxy Music. I was into the Sweet and Slade and Mud and more that sort of thing. I'm not not my T Rex a bit, but not really, David Bowie really wasn't really on my radar at that point. I mean, I totally remember that, uh, you know, that appearance of Starman on on top of the pops. But it did, it, at the age of seven and sort of. Just coming home from Cubs, or just about, um, it didn't quite resonate with me in that way that perhaps Mud did, or that Sweet did, or Roxy Music really weren't quite on my wavelength. But I mean, going back to sort of Roxy, you you buy into a lifestyle, you buy into Roxy, you, you buy into an ideal of art, you buy into a, a, a real definite lifestyle and I think you did the same when you bought into the Clash and the Pistols or you did the same when you bought into the Rolling Stones or you bought into the Who the Who very particularly I think in early days well certainly the mod culture yes but um, that thing we decide who you're going to which tribe yeah yeah who you're going to pin your colours to it's it's, it's quite important and and perhaps um, you know there aren't those obvious tribes to be a part of anymore. Maybe they are, you know. I'm but Libra and One Direction are probably the closest. I'm not a kid, you know, hmm. anymore. I mean, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure some thirteen-year-old could tell me and just say, oh, you know, I'll check this out, Granddad, you know. And right and proper. I mean, I feel, I feel the one thing that kids don't have these days is, is music to fuck their parents off to. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I mean, I mean, I, you know, I, if I wanted to, you know, I suppose I crass. Yeah, you know, whack feeding the five thousand on for a few minutes. That'll get your mum off here. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But I mean, so the pistols and stuff like that. I mean, you had music where you kind of went, "Oh, this is my music." It felt like 
you know, it felt like my music. I totally remember seeing the Bill Grundy interview. And, you know, and I've said, you know, I've said before, I said, you know, my life changed that day. I was only a kiddie, you know, I was being babysat, I was that young, you know, not, I'm not a baby, but I certainly couldn't be left in the house by, my, by myself. But um, my dad used to do minicab driving on a Friday night, and my mum used to be um, a controller at the cab company where my dad worked. So we used to go to my nan and granddad's, my, my brother and I, on Friday evenings. Uh, my dad would take us over them and, and, uh, and we'd stay there. And then sort of very late at night when my dad finished his shift, he'd sort of shuffle us in the car and take us home. And so um, we're, I was so I was sitting in my nan's living room with my nan's sister when that uh, the Bill Grundy thing was on. And I was just like, oh, oh you know, I was... That was the day when it, when it was possible for me to be a musician, not not mm. this, not be a punk, but that was the day when it became feasible for people like Matthew and I to be a musician. They that's that is year zero. Rebellion, freedom, life. year zero. What, what a that's and what else makes you want to pick up an instrument and for my life? And 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 at that point, the seed was sown. It didn't happen for a couple, you know. It didn't happen for a few years after that, but that's that's where it starts. I think very clearly. Until that point, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd you know, my favourite record, the first record that really made an impression on me was White Shade of Pale, which, I, and uh, when I was a kiddie, when I was a very little kid, and I used to just pump the jukebox to um, a holiday camp, get my ten p a day, pocket money, play White Shade of Pale three times, and sit on the steps at night, and, uh, you know, at, at Butlins and watch like the holiday camp band, and. I didn't know you could go out and actually buy a record or own a record at the age of three. So I didn't know that was a possibility. And all things like that. And then sort of liking Mud when I was a kid, that was like one of the first proper bands I ever went to see. My mum took me for my birthday when I was a very little kid to see them, like Stratomodian or something. And the fact they were local boys really sort of... Because I, um, I, I, I was brought up all around sort of South London. The fact that they lived in like Merton and Wimbledon. And Dave Mount, the drummer, lived in... You know, near Wimbledon Football Club, I always um, that always I found that really appealing in some ways. And never something I, I thought I could ever do at that point. But then spin forward a few years, and then the pistols happen. They suddenly kind of go, "This is possible. Mm. This is possible." And then there's that little thing that's in your head at that point. I think if they Amazing. can do it, I but can I totally do it. remember my nan was like horrified. But my nan was a fairly uptight lady, and. And my nan's sister just thought they were hilarious. And um, yeah, years later, you still you sometimes go down the pub with my nan's sister, aren't you, Pod? She was she was ace. Me and my friend, uh, first guy I ever played drums with, uh, went down the pub with Auntie Podge once in Morden. We had a few a few shows, but she was ace. It's really nice when you get to be my age because there's no reason to do it other than just to do it for the art. Really, I'm not you know. I'm under no illusions anymore. You know, I'm not chasing a record deal anymore. I, no. I feel I'm, in, you know, just doing the best work I've ever done, really. Because um, it's like I think there's a there's a fearlessness to what we're doing. You know, there's a we're not deliberately uncommercial, but just, you know, those those notions of being a pop star are so long gone now that you can just actually just kind of go and actually we can just do music now. Yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm very comfortable with that. It feels good. It feels a good place to be. And it's only taken <laughs> thirty five years or something. It's thirty years. Oh, blink of 
blink of an eye. Oh, mate, yeah. tell overnight, me. Overnight sensation. <laughs> tell me it's a blink of an eye. Oh. I suppose in terms of music to piss your parents off with, I, I suppose the closest facsimile happening now would be grime, which is not to the taste of many parents. If you're a parent and you like it and you're listening to it, well done, but you'd be in the minority. But And it's still comparatively underground and... Um, I still think there's probably a few sort of sub sub genres of metal which are still fairly unpalatable. I mean, you know, I mean, I sp- you know, I mean, there's been some great stuff. Even I mean, I suppose things like Public Enemy and Napalm Death and things like that aren't, aren't that recent anymore. Jesus and Mary Chain, mm. um, you know, it's just I, I always think you know, thirteen year old thirteen year olds should have should have a music to call their own, a culture to call their own, something that they can put on. And just kind of like, it doesn't matter how kind of cool or liberal their mums and dads are, they're just going to go, no, that's so shut, turn that bloody noise off. Mm. Yes, job done. <laughs> and right. I kind of I kind of feel sorry that kids haven't got that anymore, because all their mums and dads, I suppose, are like us. Yeah, that's yeah. what I meant about the, the five like, years not being long yeah. in music anymore a, because there isn't that pattern happening. Right, that was my point. Fandoms will always exist. There'll always be a bunch okay. of teens with pretty faces who you know are doing something that is very very mainstream. But yeah, just something where goodness, what the fuck was that? And when you hear it, you go, yeah, yeah. nasty ass motherfuckers. Yeah. And and it, it's it's pretty that doesn't. I'm sure you can go, but there'll always be somebody doing that kind of thing, but you don't feel it or hear it in in the same mm. way. Grime is the closest thing, where you, you listen to some of the backing tracks, and it, it doesn't make easy listening. Some of the subject matter is it, is often pretty direct and pretty yeah. bass. That's great, but grime's been come slowly bubbling away for years and years, and you know it's become it's more of a cult than a a movement. But right, yeah. at least it's it's a cult that's happening, and uh, long may it rain. <laughs> Matt and Kevin, thank you so much for visiting us here on the Dukey Radio Show. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Andy. To find out more about Unstoppable Achievers, click your way to their website, www.unstoppableachievers.com. The band will be strutting their stuff live at Alice's Wicked Tea Party on the weekend of the 3rd and 4th of June alongside a stellar lineup of bands in Deepest Dorset in the West Country of England, that is. You can find details about the event on the band's website. You've been listening to an interview with Unstoppable Achievers. My name is Dookie and I've been your host. May the worst of tomorrow be the best of yesterday. Now it's time for me to go and uh, <clears throat> pop my weasel. Thanks for listening. Half a pound of tuppenny rice, half a pound of treacle. That's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel.
on Facebook page Facebook It's easy to find, it will not take an age Facebook www.facebook.com Forward slash The Dookie Radio Show The Dookie Radio Show The thin white Dookie is right Click your way to the Dookie Radio Show Facebook page www.facebook.com Forward slash The Dookie Radio Show The Dookie Radio Show The Dookie Radio Show (laughs) 